In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I will not be accountable to God for how my children turn out in adulthood. I will be accountable for how I parented them in childhood. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and as you hear, I'm with my producer, co-host, and a very... Very uh, not harmonized today. Uh, you are off a little bit, so I'm with Dale Culver right now. What's going on? Did you not not enough coffee? Uh, you were a little forceful with that I, entry there. I like being forceful. Yep. So you just gotta, you know, repent and submit. That's all so, right. Okay. It's all good. Hey guys, I'm really excited to tell you this month for the next couple months we got a free download for you. It's called "Of Guts and Men: Thirty Days to Unlocking Your Most Courageous Version." So head on over to our website, top right corner, click on the button. You can get that book for free. It's about sixty pages long. It's a study of every time the word courageous is mentioned in the Bible and what it means to you and helping you become your best version. So I'm excited about that. And Dale, you were going to say something else. Yeah, guys, uh, send us your podcast reviews, and we also would love to hear your transformation stories because you guys are the heroes, and we want to celebrate you guys. So shoot those over to us. If you got a story, you can send it over to us at info at org. Or if you're using the Apple app, you can just go on there and just leave a review, and that'd be awesome. And if we read that stuff, we're going to let you know, and uh, you can get some swag. Wow, very well said, man. Hey, I'm excited about today's guest. This guy's becoming a good friend of mine. <clears throat> he has an amazing ministry uh, that helps men become their best version of a father. And, you know, we really are focused on the man himself, but within that, you have this huge component of these guys living in the arena of life, the stress bubble, that is called fatherhood. And he, this guy has really got this dialed. I'm really excited about his ministry. He has five sons mm. from five years old to 20. His wife is a saint. I can't wait to hear some of the stories. We had a lot of blood with our boys, but when you have five, there's a lot of blood I'm wondering with five they, boys. Do they have any nice things in I want to know if his wife is in the insane asylum. If not, she's probably the mom of mom's <laughs> I mean, I just would love to shake her hand and just bow before her mm -hmm. in, in, in homage. So so this guy's the expert, and man, guys, this is a great resource for you. I want to introduce my friend, but before I do, do you have a man word? <laughs> yes, it's uh, this describes what uh, 
Kent and his wife have been on, and it, the word is journey. Journey. Yeah. Straight out of fatherhood journey. Yeah, it's manhood journey, but... <clears throat> well, read, yeah. you're on a fatherhood journey here. Oh, that's true. Word. So... <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, I think so many times we just want to get to the end prize, but there is a journey that we go through, and like, you know, when you earn a car and you you've worked hard for it and then you get it, you really appreciate that car. But if it's just handed to you, I don't think you appreciate it as much and you end up mm. crapping it out. Yeah. Right. And so we're on a journey in life and there's certain steps and things we go through and we need to go through them. Man, I, I you kind of describe sex in my opinion. <laughs> so my honeymoon version of sex and my version now is way different. Enjoy the journey, this, boys. Enjoy this interview the journey. just took a weird turn. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. I just repented of wow. my. I just repented. Hey, I want to bring on my new friend, Kent Evans. <clears throat> Kent is 50 years old. He lives in Louisville, Kentucky. He's been married 25 years to his beautiful and courageous bride, April. And he has the father of five sons. Kent's the executive director and co founder of Manhood Journey. It's a ministry that helps fathers become disciple makers. He's appeared on television, radio, web outlets, and podcasts. He's spoken at parenting and men's events. His first book, which is our topic today, Wise Guys, Unlocking Hidden Wisdom from the Men Around You, was written to help men learn how to find mentors and wise counsel. I'm excited about this book, guys. Learn about the manhood journey at manhoodjourney.org or fatheronpurpose.org. We're going to ask him about that in just a second. Kent, it's great to have you on the show, brother. Hey, man. It's my pleasure to be here, Jim. Super excited. So Manhood Journey, Fatherhood on Father on Purpose, can you explain... Uh, the two websites? Sure. Yeah. When we first began, we felt like God was asking us to build resources for fathers with sons. And so we built a bunch of stuff that's actually gone really well. God's opened a ton of doors and we've had more fruit from that than we even could have imagined. And over the years, we've developed this email list and this following of dads, a lot of which have sons and daughters or daughters only or kids out of the house. And so we started asking ourselves, does God want us to also talk to fatherhood issues at a broader context? Uh, not just father-son, but biblical fatherhood. And we decided that he does. And we decided to launch that under a, a kind of a sister brand name or brother brand name called Father on Purpose. So Man Who Journeys Father-Son, Father on Purpose, Father on Purpose is biblical fatherhood. I'll tell you what, I really appreciate the focus on fathering. It's a huge, huge issue in a world where uh, guys are being raised from divorced homes. 40% of kids are born out of wedlock. You know, a lot of these guys have dads who are absent, and just to get the guys to engage in fatherhood and to focus on training them to do so, I just really uh, respect and appreciate that. So thanks for what you're doing, man. It's my pleasure. Hey, Kent, why don't you uh, take a minute, and uh, Dale just pulled up a picture of your family. Uh, tell us your pers- about your personal life, your story, things you enjoy. Uh, what, is, what do our guests need to hear? Well, I am, uh, as you said at the onset, I'm 50, and... April and I have been married 25 years. Uh, We have five sons and really cool this year, we got our first daughter. So our oldest son got married. And so now I have a daughter-in-law who I love. She's tremendous, Gracie. And I'm so glad she's part of our family. Our kids range in age from five to 20. And we kind of have like two phases we went through as parents. We had three children. They are now 20, 18, and 16. And then we waited a few years and decided to adopt. So we adopted two boys uh, internationally, they're from uh, both from Ethiopia 
and that's Timothy and Titus ages eight and five. So we mm. kind of have an older batch and we have a younger batch. Wow. That's really cool, man. How about your light? When you have a few moments of personal time, what do you enjoy doing? Oh, I haven't had those for about 20 years. So I don't even know what you're asking about. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? What in the world? What kind of question is that, Jim? You that ask these guys. Me. So these guys <laughs> that are in the stress bubble. I'm just hey, kidding. so tell me about your uh, life. They go, well, I don't have a life. <laughs> uh, you know, seriously, I, I really do love spending time with my family. Like, you know, if I have a free evening, we go ride our bikes up to the park and kick soccer, you know, so that for me is a total blast. Um, if it's If it's me by myself, I like to read. I enjoy reading. In ah. fact, today at lunch, I took a break and was reading a new fiction book, which I don't do very much of. I decided, yeah. um, uh, you know, I'm always reading like self-help or business books or ministry books or theology books. And uh, I decided to go back again and spend some time this summer. I really decompress. In fact, just over a salad at lunch, I read nine chapters in a fiction book like Lickety Split. And it was a great, uh, a great release, man. I loved it. I'll tell you what. I, <clears throat> I read... 40 to 50 books a year for the podcast. And I'm always reading. And I'll tell you what, I love to sit back and have a brainless non uh, fiction book. I'm actually feeling like Lord of the Rings is coming. I think I'm going <laughs> to, I think I'm going to read that trilogy again because that's 1200 pages of the best writing I've ever read. It's so, uh, no, that's really cool, man. What's well, good. Hey, I'm great. To, I'm like, so excited to have you on the show, Kent. And, and uh, we're going to interview you today about your book and your ministry, but the book is called wise guys, unlocking the hidden wisdom for men around you. And I've pulled several phrases and words out of that book, and I'm going to throw those into what I call our rapid fire round. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? You can speak now. Yes. <laughs> okay, so so on page 27 of your book, you're talking about a mentor of yours named Weldon, and, and uh, Weldon gently said, Kent, quote, you know, Kent, Life has a peculiar way of turning you into the very thing you don't want to become. Put another way, psychologically speaking, you cannot become, and the word today I want you to unpack is called unsomething. What does that mean? First, that was almost the title of the book. Oh, I really? So I love because, that word. <clears throat> yeah. The reason I love it so much is because a lot of guys listening to your podcast right now are trying to become the opposite of their dad. Yes. Like I know this from our research, right? And unfortunately, unfortunately, two things are true about that guy. Number one, he's probably ate up with anger and resentment. And number two, he's not aiming toward anything. And so what Weldon unpacked for me was, you know, like, let's just say, I don't want to be an astronaut. I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be a pro baseball player. Then what? Your brain doesn't know what to do with what I'm not going to do. Hey, honey, I'm going out. Where are you going? Well, I'm sure not going to Walmart. And so like, well, you would never do that. And so your brain is the same way. Guys, if you're listening and you're running from the picture of your dad or you're running from the picture of the house you grew up in, bro, you need to figure out what's the something you are trying to become. You know, what are these guys like that? What do they have that you want? And who do you want to be when you grow up? Because that's what we can actually aim at. We can't just aim away from a negative. We got to aim toward a positive. Well, and it's really interesting. After World War II, a phrase was developed called target fixation, and they found that pilots were hitting trees that they were actually trying to avoid. To bring it to modern day, we see this all the time. I'm a big football fan. We see this all the time in football. As soon as a football team goes on the field and tries not to lose by putting in a prevent defense, they lose because they're focused on not losing, and the very thing they focus on is what they become. And that's what exactly. unsomething is. 
That's exactly that right. Is and so a lot of good. guys are a lot of guys are accidentally doing that. They don't even know it. Yeah, they're just so that is so good on something. We need to get away from and focus on what we want to become. Super, super good. So the next word here is egotistic individualism. <laughs> Well, speaking as a professional, I feel like topic. I feel like my name should be on that picture there. <laughs> when I was a senior in high school, I was voted most likely to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated and tell you about it. Uh, that uh, phrase, man, um, the easiest way to describe that phrase is next time you go to a party or a barbecue or a church social, um, wait and see if the guy you're talking to asks you any questions about you. And here's the truth. He ain't going to. You know why? Because he doesn't care. He didn't really give a crap. What he cares about is himself, his job, his wife, his kids, his business, his money, his vacation. And social media is not helping us. This ain't doing us any favors. And so the egotistic individualism comes out when you are so um, concerned with proving yourself, which, by the way, a little hint for you. Go back to the comment we just talked about, about running from your own dad. Yeah. You're so concerned with proving yourself that all you can do is take every opportunity to talk about it. In fact, when we were starting Manhood Journey, uh, we would, you know, the first year or two, it was all I could think of, right? It was so exciting. And and I'm still as passionate now. I've just learned to throttle a little bit because one night on the way home from one of our family outings, my wife just goes, uh, hey, honey, listen, I'm as excited about Manhood Journey as you are. But maybe it wouldn't have to be like a straight three-hour monologue next time we're at like a family function. And so like when we get excited about stuff, whether it's our career or our opportunity or who we met or the book we're writing or whatever, we just tend to focus on it. That makes us egotistic and individualistic. And I would challenge the guys listening to uh, just go listen next time you're at an event and just see if the dude you're talking to asks you any questions and he won't. And guess what? Neither do you. Well, really interesting. I've read a book a couple times now, three times, I think. Dale Carnegie wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a classic. And he has a chapter on how to become a brilliant conversationalist. And it is so simple. He just said, hey, people want to talk about the thing that's the most important to them, themselves. So if you want to be a brilliant conversationalist, just ask questions about their life. My wife and I have employed this technique. And I'm, I'm not kidding you, Kent. It's like one in... In the church, in the selfless, humble, meek church, it's like... One in 15. Oh, I would say higher. One in 20, one in 25 will ever ask you about themselves. And uh, my wife's a flight attendant. She gets done after every flight. She can tell me the story of every flight attendant she works with. Every single one. And I go, well, what what do they learn about you? Nothing. They never ask. And they never, ever do. It's really interesting. And the the challenge there, a guy's got to realize... It's not because you're not a skilled conversationalist. It's because you are ate up with pride. Like, let's just be honest. Yeah, it's yeah. not because you don't know the skills. It's because you don't give a crap. And so you're, you're it, it, here's the thing. Your bucket's empty. Your spiritual bucket is empty. So you fill it up with yourself and pride. Um, I heard a guy say one time, if you meet a genuinely humble person, you actually won't walk away thinking, gee, they were humble. You'll walk away thinking, odd. They seemed curiously interested in me. Yeah. I heard a guy say something similar. He said, when people walk away from talking to you, do they think you're awesome or they are? And C.S. <laughs> C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis said, <clears throat> I was like, wait, 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 what's the point of it then? C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. 
It's thinking right. of yourself less. Of yourself less. So you know, your wife did this in the previous story with your three-hour dial a monologue. And this is our next phrase I want you to unpack for us. And I thought this was really, really good, this section of your book, Effective Rebukers. So, uh, was that Hank's? Was that Hank? Who was man, that? <clears throat> that was um, the the main guy who did that was a guy named Rick Steinrock, and Rick. Rick was a customer of mine. I was a marketing guy, and I was way behind on your younger uh, project that I that I owed him. Oh yeah, and um, but I mean I was old enough to know better, uh, so I was in my thirties, uh, oh. and and I was I owed him something. I wasn't getting back to him, and. Here's a little tip for you. If you're going to be unaccountable and be like a, you know, kind of a loser, don't go to church with those people because they're going to find you. Even in a giant church, I go to this massive church and one day I'm walking out and there's Rick. And Rick was a roofer and had worked in the roofing business. He owned it. He owned a roofing business for like 30 years. So you think this kind of rough and tumble guy, construction guy, but he was quiet. He was calm. He's like the Tony Dungy of the roofing business. Just <laughs> Not he didn't scream at people, and I saw him. And I mean, seriously, if I could have hid behind a trash can, I would have instantly. And he grabbed me and he goes, "Hey, Kent, do you have a minute?" And I'm like, mm, "Gee, really busy, leaving and all." But so we go back into the church, and here's all he did. He just goes, "I get this sense that you're avoiding me." That's it. And all I could say was, "Yeah." And he goes, <laughs> "Well, my my guess is." That, that's because you don't have done what you need to get done. And um, that's why you're avoiding me. And I said, right again. And he goes, well, here's the thing. As a business guy, you owe me a deliverable. And, you know, we're paying you for that deliverable. And I expect it to come my way pretty soon. And secondly, though, as a believer, mm. I'm just really disappointed. This isn't how believers should relate to one another. Uh. And then here's the, here's the pivot. Here's the pivot. And then he goes, you know what? but I'm sure you'll figure it out. And I look forward to hearing back from you really soon. We were done. Ah. Like that meeting didn't last two minutes. It didn't last two minutes. And that was 20 years ago, plus or minus. And uh, I'm telling you, man, it is hard to rebuke someone gently and in love. But here's what happens when you do. When you do it like he did it, you leave them with nothing but their own sin. Uh -huh. Like, so what I do with my kids, what I do with my kids is I start yelling at them and I freak out. I'm like, what are you doing there? I talk to your mom like that. And like, woo. And then we've got two sins on the table. Oh. We now have to work through their sin and my sin of being a jerk. Yeah. Because they're not connected, by the way. I didn't sin because they sinned. I sinned because I chose to. And so when we get to where we're effective rebukers, we really let the Holy Spirit do the work on their heart because we don't confuse the issue with our own stupidity. Oh, that's so good, man. I, I really appreciate that. That the rebuke is very difficult and and people shrink back from that instead of you know leaning into it. That was really good, man. So on page 36 of your book, you have another word that you made up, which I thought was really awesome. <laughs> you said, of course it's also true that my friend Dave is the guy who holds the secrets when it comes to my past deeds and misdeeds. Other than my wife, nobody else is a better position is in a better position to bring about my public humiliation. That's so powerful. He alone holds the key to mental repository of incriminating Kent formation. So the word is Kent formation. <laughs> uh, you know what's really cool about God's grace is God holds all the all the Kent formation. 
right? And the crazy <laughs> part is God held it before I even did it. And he yeah. knows what I'm going to do in the next five minutes, the next five years. He has all the gym formation. He has all the Tom formation, all the Frank formation. Uh, it, it exists. And here's the beautiful part about God's grace is compared to the blood of Jesus on the cross, it doesn't matter. Mm, that's so good. I, I really appreciate that. And then why do guys shrink back from giving out their gym formation to somebody else? Because that is the thing that takes men down, right? It's not yeah. the public stuff. It's the gym formation. It's the Kent formation. It's the yeah. Dale formation. Why do guys? Why do guys uh, put that in a dirty little corner? Yeah, because we we confuse facts about us with our identity. Uh, oh. So we <clears throat> we think like if you meet again, well, let's go back to the the barbecue, right? You're going to go to this coming weekend, even though everyone will be six feet apart. Um, when you go there and you say, "Hey, Jim, good to meet you. Uh, what do you do?" You, you yeah. answer with your job. Or if I say, hey, Jim, hey, who are you? You say, I'm Jim Ramos. And I go, well, tell me something else about you. Well, I'm so-and-so's husband. I'm so-and-so's dad. And you start telling me all kinds of information about things in your life that are either roles you play, yeah. jobs you have, or things you've accomplished or done. And that's okay. It's not like that's evil, but that's not my identity. For sure. That's not really who I am. Who I am is whoever... God says, I am. And God doesn't really say I'm April's husband. I'm Alex's dad. I'm, you know, Titus's adopted father. He doesn't really say that. I mean, it's kind of, it's true. But he says, I am a child of his. Yeah. And so like what we do is we think all this information about us, all the dumb stuff we did in college, you know, the thing we did last weekend, the stuff we shouldn't look at and all that. We think that's our identity. That's not our identity. That's our behavior. And if we can understand the differences theologically between those two things, we can start to let other people in to our behavior because we're not so scared. Yeah, and and Jesus should free us to do that as guys. Uh, and I, it just seems that secrets just take guys out. It just it's the secrets. It's the secrets. And so, hey, yeah, you wrote in your true. you wrote uh, quote. I am a dad for the last twenty years, five boys. The effort my wife and I have made to raise godly future men, not just raise boys, and and I love this part. Not even just raising responsible kids, which happens in the church. I just want my kids to be good kids. Well, they're not good. They're sinners. And then you said, I want to raise godly kids. So we're, so you said, you continued, we're trying not just to raise children, but to disciple them. So uh, as we shared earlier, you have five sons. Uh, uh, you have two and three split apart a little bit. How, so why, how has this been catalytic in the forming of manhood journey for you? <clears throat> because we only we only can go the places where we're aiming to go, as we talked about earlier. If my aim is to get my kids into Harvard or my aim is to have them be able to balance a checkbook or do good on a job interview or tie a bow tie or whatever my aim is, that's where I'm going to stop. Like that's the ceiling that I'm going to bump into as a dad. Well, then, then what do you do? If your kid's making good money, he's got a good job, he got A's in college, then what? Well, here's the then what. I want them to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I can't control that. And if they choose that, that'll be because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, God's sovereign in that equation. And I don't understand all that. But what I do know is my aim is not to make them good citizens. Right. So, for example, and I can I, this is easier understood with a question. If there's a guy listening, if you're listening to this podcast. I want to ask you a question. Who are you discipling mm. right now? Who are you discipling? Think, think, 
like really, literally the names, the faces, who are you discipling? And here's the deal. If you're a dad with three children and those faces did not come to your mind right now, you're doing it wrong. Yep. Yeah. Figure it out. Like the center of your discipleship circle is your own family, bro. Then after that, it's some dude you meet with on Friday mornings at you know, Shoney's or Chick-fil-A. After that, it's the dude in your small group. After that, it's your Sunday school or whatever. The people you're discipling are the ones under your own roof. You know, it's really interesting. Focus is dads. Well, I, I, being a youth pastor for 25 years, I, I, I saw this good citizens in the church. I saw this, you know, be a good citizen. Jesus will make you a good citizen. And that's nothing more in my opinion than functional atheism. You know, we're, we've got these guys that are high-functioning atheists, and that's a problem because, you know, being a good parent is not good enough if you're a follower of Jesus as a man. As a follower of Jesus and you're a man, you need to be a good pastor to your kids and your wife. And that, that that's so so manhood journey. So I, I love manhood journey. I love what you're doing. There aren't a lot of guys out there focused on fatherhood. It's a huge issue with guys today. Why manhood journey? Why? What's Man, the what's the why? Question. The why is uh, if you think of an old time stereo knob, <laughs> the, the kind that used to oh, turn, yeah. you know, left to right, like in Spinal Tap, it goes to eleven. Um, so if you think of that old knob and you think of the knob in your head, think of it turned all the way down, like at volume zero. That's called being a delegator as a dad. So when you've turned that all the way down, you've said, "I need someone else." to disciple my kids. It's the teacher. That's the reason I put him in that fancy Christian school. You know, like you, that's why you think your kid goes to summer camp and all this stuff. You've turned the knob all the way down, uh, turned all the way up, right. To 11. The number, the word is discipler, Ah. discipler. So the different, and I'm not going to get it perfect, right? I, I want to help all your dad, all your guys on this, on this podcast, get a little bit of release here. Uh, and you can test me on this theologically, Jim. I will not be accountable to God for how my children turn out in adulthood. I will be accountable for how I parented them in childhood. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And so like once they're out of my house and they're making bonehead decisions or or great decisions, I don't get to take all that credit and I don't got to take all that blame. But what God is going to ask me and which he already knows the answer to is he's going to say, hey, man did you make the most of the time you did have? Did you do it? Cause we can try our best and our kids can still be apostate rebellious heretics. And that's not something we have total control over. So we got to release them to God's sovereignty and his plan for their life and not get all hung up in it. But by the same token, manhood journey exists to help dads put their best foot forward when it comes to disciple making, because that's what I want to create in my house are young men who are disciples and who are walking according to God's word and are seeking wise counsel and are praying. I want them to have those spiritual formation basics. Yeah, that's so good and so powerful. And, you know, we believe when a man gets it, everyone wins. And and what you're saying is when this guy gets it, and the it for your movement is you need to understand Jesus, and then you need to let him teach you about fathering. So if I go to your website, Kent, which I did yesterday, I spent quite a bit of time watching your video, and Kyle Eidelman, who love his book, um, uh, uh, Not a Fan, love that book. If I go to the website, what do you want me to do? I'm a man, I'm busy, I'm hurried, life is rushed, I'm raising my kids. I go to your website because I want help. 
what does manhood journey want me to do? What's the, what's the step for these guys? Yeah. The step is we have a ton of free resources on our website. I saw that. That's awesome. Um, and I want you just to go enjoy one or two or 20, you know, a blog post, an ebook, a video, um, because we do, we do exist on donations and also on sales of our curriculum. So eventually, yeah, if you want to buy something for 10 bucks, great. But we got probably 90% of what we pump out is totally free. And uh, that's because God's been gracious to us. We want to give it back to these guys. And though, you know, the way I look at it, Jim, if you, uh, if you drop to me, on a cricket match field, <laughs> I would probably <laughs> not know what to do. Like, I'm not totally sure I know the objective of cricket. Yeah. I'm not sure why the guy keeps batting forever. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure why you'd call it cricket. <laughs> but, but if you drop me on a soccer field, I know exactly what to do. Right. I played a ton of soccer. Um, and the challenge for most dads is they've been dropped on to the fatherhood field. Yes. And they don't even know what a goal looks like. Oh. I mean, it, it'd, be, it'd be almost the same thing of dropping me on a soccer field and there's no goals at all. And there's like 20 people out there kicking the ball around. And at one point you go, what are we doing? Like, is, is, is there a, I don't even see the goals. And oh, yo, this game, we don't have goals. We just kick it around a lot. I'm like, well, I'm out of here. A lot of dads are that confused about fatherhood because they don't see the goals. Like, can I tell a very brief story? In this oh, regard? for sure. It'll sound like I'm giving myself more credit than I deserve. It's really about my wife. And so I hope everybody hears this story right. But when my boys were younger, uh, probably 10 and eight, somewhere around there, the younger one decided to do what boys do, which is he got on a stool in our basement and dove off the stool head first for a bean bag, which he clearly missed and hit the carpet, which is on oh. top of concrete. So he dives, knocks himself out, and we think he broke his neck. I'm at work. I didn't even know about this till that night. And so my wife does what you do to anybody who might have a spinal injury, and that's shake them real hard. But point is, she, <laughs> wake up, wake up. Exactly. God damn it. So she, she, she calls 911. They come over. He wakes up. He just got knocked out. Turns out, no big deal, right? But as my wife was telling me the story that night, she goes, oh, this happened, and then Jeremy dove off his thing, and then blah, blah, blah. Then she, something hit her, and she turns to my oldest son, and she says, hey, Alex, when Jeremy got knocked out, you were in the basement, but when the EMS workers got here, you weren't in the basement anymore. I, I lost track of you. What happened? And he goes, I came upstairs. And she said, why? And he said, to pray for Jeremy. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. Now, listen. Now, listen. Now listen. Here's the point of that story. Not that we taught our kid to pray and he's a perfect Christian. That's not the point of that story. The point of that story is I understand as a dad, that is a major like grand slam oh, yeah. home run. But the diff problem is most dads would think that the 32 he got on his ACT later was the home run. Yeah. That ain't the home run. That's a stand-up single. Yeah. The home run is that he's getting it. He's like, understanding that he has a role to play in the spiritual ecosystem of our family. And so what I want dads to realize is for most dads, you're playing a game where you don't even understand the scoreboard. The sco you don't even know what a run is. I mean, I went one time to a Washington nationals game with a French guy who had never <laughs> once seen a baseball game. I'm not lying. Uh, 
I mean, Samuel, Samuel Robert, I love him. Great guy. And we sat there for two and a half hours while I tried to explain baseball to a French guy who'd never seen it. And let me tell you, baseball is the dumbest sport in the world when you try to explain it to someone who's never seen it. Why does that guy go to first? He hit the ball. How, how many pitches does he get? Why does he go to second? Did he get two runs then? No, he got none. He doesn't get anything until he comes all the way to the fourth base, which isn't even called a base. It's called a plate. Like, oh, my goodness. Baseball is confusing as heck. Why are they all standing around except for two guys? Dude, exactly. It should be called that, weight ball. <laughs> that's what a lot of dads are wrestling with. They don't even quite know how to keep score. And you know what dads do when they don't know how to keep score at home? They go somewhere where they can keep score. Work money, chasing girls, whatever their score box is, they're going to go find a way to keep score because we're hardwired to take victory. Yes. We're hardwired to accomplish. And we don't understand accomplishments around our house because they seem few and far between and we don't even recognize them. So when my 12-year-old son went upstairs to pray for his brother, that was an ESPN highlight moment for him. And I made sure he understood that it was. And I didn't underpraise that and overpraise his ability with a guitar or his ACT score. No, that's no, really man. powerful. We got to praise the spiritual victories and we got to see them when they land in our lap. Well, and that's what I've, t- you know, I've got, I've got two sons are college graduates. The third one is a four-year starter on a, the football team here in Linfield college, and he's going to graduate. And, and they all are really hardworking. They're like opposite of what you would think a millennial is. They are just great, great young men. But I tell them probably, Two or three times a year now that they're adults, guys, you know, I've told you this and I'll tell you this again. You're all going to be successful. You're all going to make more money than dad. But all I care is that you live for Jesus. If you live for Jesus, you are honoring this family name. You will become your best version. And even if you are flipping McDonald's burgers at 45, if you love Jesus, you'll be right where he wants you to be. It's all about Jesus. So you put that guy on the soccer field. He looks around. He can't see the goal. It's tough because you know forty percent of uh, children are born out of wedlock. You know the divorce rate has been hovering around fifty percent for years. So a lot of these guys are being raised without a father. So we put them down and say, "Go get them, guys." And so I'm thankful for guys like you and a Manhood Journey who say, "Let us be your guide. Let us walk you through this." I want to dive into your book, but first we're going to take a minute. Here from our sponsors. We'll be right back at you. Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. All right, let's dive into your book, Wise Guys, man. So uh, I told you this earlier. I was surprised when I opened it. Like I was expecting a book on how to be a good father, and it was a book on, in a word, I would say mentoring, how to get around guys that will walk with you. Your, your subtitle is Unlocking Hidden Wisdom from Men Around You. And you went through the book, and you listed, I would say, no less than 10 guys that impacted you in some way or another. Why is mentoring, I think this goes back to our soccer field with no goal, why is mentoring so important? It's almost a first step in a man training and discipling his children. Is that Give me the why behind the book. The why is uh, you can't be a mentor unless you've ever been a protege. And if you've not learned how to be a protege, 
best of luck being a mentor. Mm. Secondly, Proverbs chapter one, the statement that I like to make is, God will never leave you or forsake you, but wisdom will kick you to the curb. That is a true statement. And she says, and she says so in Proverbs chapter one. And the crazy part is she says, I stood a lot, I screamed at the city gate. I tried to get your attention, but when you wouldn't listen to me, I'm going to laugh when dread overtakes you. I will mock you when calamity comes. And you think, gosh, is that the spirit of God? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 But here's the thing. It doesn't mean you're lost. It's ain't about salvation. You can be a saved believer and be unwise. Yeah. And so yeah. One, of the, one of the key mechanisms for wisdom is learning to accept wisdom from other people. The beginning of wisdom. Proverbs, the king, son of Solomon, to know wisdom and instruction. Go in Proverbs and count how many times he says, my son. My son, if you receive my words, we can't walk through life as wise men unless we've learned how to receive wisdom from other men. It's just how God designed it. You know what's funny, buddy, is I pray for 75 to 100 people a year, probably just put my hands on them, pray over them. And I pray more than any other prayer, I pray James 1.5. Yeah. That were the it's one of the it's one of the times in the Bible where God actually sa- basically says if you pray this it's guaranteed guaranteed answer prayer if you ask for wisdom I will give it to you and and I think that's a huge deal now now you may say you may be a guy listening going well at what point do I not need a mentor I'm 40 years old I'm an oh. elder in my church or I'm a business owner <clears throat> well I'm 54 years old and every other Friday at 6 a.m., I meet with a guy named Bill Perkins, who's a best-selling author. Uh, the first book I ever read on manhood was called Six Battles Every Man, Six Rules Every Man Must Break. Or and 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 Bill is my one of my mentors, and he's 74 years old now. So when do you stop needing a mentor? Never, never. When you die, never. Yeah, when you die, you all. And I have I've got Bud Lindstrom who took who took. Uh, Moda from uh, a bankrupt company, a $5 million a year to a company that when he retired was at $500 million a year. And he's mentoring me. He's 85 years old. When do you stop needing a mentor? Never. Because if you want the time, when you stop growing, you stop going. So I really appreciate this, man. And your stories are hilarious. It's just knowing you, Kent, and how you communicate. You and I are very similar. Your book was fun to read and it's easy to read because it's just hard hitting and fast. It's just really good. You know what's interesting, Jim? Goes back to how to win friends and influence people in that book. Yes, Dale, Car- Dale Carnegie quotes Ralph Waldo Emerson, and he says, "Every man I meet is in some way my superior, and in that I endeavor to learn." And Dale Carnegie goes on to say, "I don't even know how to live outdoors. I don't know how to live on the street. If I were homeless tomorrow, I'd go learn from a homeless guy. You know, like I can run a big concrete company, I can run a big steel company, but I can't live on the streets. And so a homeless guy can teach me how to live on the streets. And that was that wasn't a gimmick." That wasn't a that wasn't a technique. It was a belief system. So the question is, hey man, who's 20, 30, 50, 60, when you bump into other men, do you actually think that other guy can teach you something? Well, because he I, can. And I think it's also in your book, uh, you quote Walf, what Ralph Waldo Emerson is saying, most men live lives of quiet desperation. And I believe exactly. they do that, Kent, because they don't have somebody that can help them understand life. I mean, I was at Big Five the other day uh, buying a Target for my bow, and I ran into an 82-year-old guy, Christian guy, and, and he gave me a little tip of wisdom, and he said, you know, Jim, he goes, at 82, everything hurts, and the parts that don't hurt don't work. 
<laughs> and I thought, now there's some wisdom I can take to the bank, right? I've got something to expect in well, 80s. And, and here's the thing I'd love to tell your listeners. Don't go looking for a mentor. Go looking for ways to seek godly counsel. And there's yes. a big difference. Big difference. If you go looking for a mentor, oh man, he's got to be like Billy Graham rolled up with, you know, Tim Cook at Apple rolled up with like Steve Jobs rolled up with like Mahatma Gandhi. You got to find this one guy. Oh, my mentor. No, 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 no. Become effective at getting godly counsel. Cause you know what? Then you can get it every day, all day. I mean, two weeks ago, I'm on one of these zoom calls and the guy on the other end is, is in, in effect mentoring me by giving me some really straight feedback about our strategy for manhood journey. And it wasn't like discouraging, but he was aggressive. And oh, at yeah. one point he just goes, one point he just goes, so Kent, is what I'm saying frustrating you? Because <laughs> he could see my face and I go, you know what? 90% of it, no. But 10% of it, yeah, it pisses me off actually. Because um, you act like I never thought of this stuff. But okay, fine. I got you. I hear you. But like, even I, I'm the mentor guy. And I was bristling at great feedback. Isn't that odd? Well, you know, it goes like, back to humility, right? Exactly. And I still got a long way to go. Well, and I, you call it a mentor. I, I think for me, I, I, I love what you're saying because for me, I go for an expert. How do I shoot my bow better? How exactly. do I, I've got a 35 year old guy who mentors me, Mark Holsing with Huntback Country Podcast on how to be a backpack hunter or how to eat better or how to love my wife better. Right. And so we are saying manhood journey, let manhood journey come into your life and help you guide you into better father. And so we need all of these experts. So essentially, you know, uh, uh, Kent Evans becomes a mentor or an expert or a guide. You become the Gandalf to their Frodo. Anyway, on page 16 of your book, you say this, talking about mentoring, the fabled method of learning from other more experienced, talented, or wiser than ourselves is mostly dead. Why do you, why do you think that? And what have you seen that makes you think so? I blame Jerry Springer. I hate that uh, guy. Here, here's the thing. <laughs> if, if you go back, if you go back, and there's a really freaky old book called uh, Gorgias. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right. But okay. it's essentially, it's a, it's a debate between Plato and Socrates or Plato and Aristotle. One of those two, two of those three, whichever two of them lived at the same time, which shows what I know. But there was a debate. And here's what we used to reward like globally in, 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 in uh, everywhere in the world, not just Western U.S. type culture, we used to reward the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom even amongst people who disagreed. In fact, in fact, we used to reward it especially amongst people who disagreed because what it meant was I was probably learning something. You know, it doesn't mean I got to agree with you, but that rub, that kind of like tension, we used to reward it. And so what we used to do is we used to say like debate, uh, uh, challenging opinions, differing ideas, uh, that kind of stuff was a pursuit of greater wisdom. Now, the minute I find out you are a Republican or a Democrat or a Black Lives Matter guy or a White Lives Matter guy, all Lives Matter guy, we just start fighting. We just start fighting. And what we've learned to do in our culture, especially Western culture, is we've learned to just fight with those who disagree. And the challenge is, biblically speaking, there are some fights you do have to pick. I mean, like, you, you got to have some doctrine that yeah, you understand. for sure. And you can't just let false teachers come flying in like Peter talks about in Second Peter. Having said that, it also says that for the, we can be respectful with those with whom 
we disagree. And so what we've lost is we've lost the pursuit of greater wisdom through the rub of differences of opinions. Well, we've, you know, we've inter- completely lost it. I read a book years ago now by a guy named Harden Weldenbrook called Missing from Action, and he tracks manhood in America. And the greatest, in his opinion, the, which I agree with, and I think it's I think it's a fairly obvious, the greatest generation of men to ever live in this country, actually was were not the uh, silent guys, silent generation. They were actually called colonial men of the 1600s and you know 1700s to 1800s. That group of men that founded our nation, and and the reason that made, they were so great was they were huge proponents of debate and discussion. And politics and religion was always on the table. And nowadays yeah. it's off the table. It's politics is on the table as much as you know I'm right, you're a libtard. Or I'm wrong and you're a racist. Instead of just sitting going, let's yep. have a dialogue, and let's not allow relationship to hinder a difference of belief. Let's have a yep. dialogue. We may agree to disagree, but let's. So that's what made these guys great, and and this is really good. And so when I when we're looking at uh, uh, guys out there, you had something really good in your book. You said this. My advice to you is this: Stop trying. This goes back to our uh, un. What'd you call it? Un. <laughs> the unsomething. Unsomething. This goes back, I think, to unsomething. Stop trying to not do this or not be that. Instead, this is really important, Kent. This may be, in my opinion, one of the most powerful statements in your book. Find some men who have the life you want and figure out why their situation is the way that, that it is. Then do some thinking. So, hey, Kent, our guys are busy. They're in the stress bubble. They're 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 raising a family, working on their marriage, serving their churches. They may be going. How do I have time for this? And I okay, I, I so, would say, how do you have time not for this? Help yeah. these busy guys. What, what do you right, say to let them? Let me let me show you a quick brain hack, okay? And I want these guys. <laughs> I want I want y'all to listen really carefully. Uh, I want to tell a very brief story. I went to Orlando, got a rental car, was with my son, drove around this rental car. It was a Mazda CX five. I know it. While we drove around, guess what we noticed? Bunch of Mazda CX-5s. Why? Because we were in one. Had I ever driven past Mazda CX-5s before? Sure, probably thousands. Had I ever noticed one before? Nope. Why? In your brain, you have a thing called your reticular activating system. It's the part of your brain that tells you what to notice and what to ignore. Okay? So like, for example, behind me, you might see things on my shelf. Earlier today, a guy said to me, oh, look, I see that thing on, of the state of Kentucky on your shelf. And I looked back and went, oh, yeah, there it is. I've been in this office 10,000 times since COVID, right? <laughs> I haven't seen that stupid thing since like nine years ago when I put it up there. I, I hear you. Why? Why? Because my brain told me to stop noticing it. Why? Because too much input would fry my brain. It's a, it's a survival mechanism. All right, guys, listen. Don't try to find mentors. Don't try to find wisdom. I know that sound like a heretic. Just listen. <laughs> instead, instead, decide how you want to grow. So for example. Yes, it's let's simple. Say, let's say you want to become a better listener. Or let's, like, did you hear what I just said? A better listener. No. What? Let's, let's say you want to become uh, a better golfer. Th- th- this is an easy one, right? Because it's like everybody will get it when I use this one. Let's say you want to become a better golfer and you decide, you know what? I want to take 10 points off my handicap tip for you. If you got a bunch of young kids in the home, stop it. Your focus is wrong. But moving back to the topic at hand, let's say you want to be a better golfer and you say to yourself out loud and maybe even like to your wife, you know, honey, I'd really like to take five or 10 points off my handicap. All right, great. 
Let's say that's on your mind. This coming weekend, as your church starts to regather in COVID, guess what you're going to notice? The guy who you talk to who has a Pebble Beach shirt on. Like, and you've seen him for five years at your church. But right now, this weekend, for the first time ever, you're going to actually notice that he's wearing a golf shirt from a really nice golf course. And then you're going to go, hey, Fred, you play golf? And he's going to go, yeah. What's your handicap? Well, gosh, I've had a zero handicap for two decades. Really, Fred? Got any time for coffee? Because here's what I want the guys on this podcast to realize. Don't go looking for the mentor or the wisdom necessarily, necessarily. I mean, those are all great pursuits, right? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm, I'm a fan. What I want you to do is find an area or two where you want to grow. Ask your wife, ask your older kids, where can I grow? What would be a great, and then the guys who could be your counselors are going to come flying at you because of your brain hack in your reticular activating system. They will become the Mazda CX-5. And all of a sudden, you're going to start noticing the right men in your life that you can go grab a cup of virtual coffee with and talk to them about how they can help you grow. You know, it's really interesting because what I have learned, I am a, it's sometimes slightly humiliating, I guess, but I will, I don't care how old somebody is. If they're better. Well, I called you, we met because I'm like, bro, you said, Hey, I'm an expert in marketing. So if you ever need help, I go stop this conversation just took a turn for the better for me. And I just jumped into your expertise. So I want help. I want help. And what I have found is men, men, there's something in us. We want to be seen as an expert. So when somebody comes to us and says, I, I see you as an expert. I got a text this morning at 630 from a guy in Belize saying, Jim, I'm not doing good. Can I call you? Why is he saying that? He's younger and he, he sees me as a guide when it comes to masculinity, right? So he reached out. I have never had a guy turn me away. In fact, the older guys will take me, I'll take them out to lunch and they pay for it because they're older. Yeah. It's a free yeah. meal. Well, I mean, and the cool thing is, the cool thing is, I'll go back to cricket. One time, literally, I was on a business trip in London. There was a cricket matchup on the television or the telly. The te- and oh. I, asked, I asked this, I was with a guy named Clive Aren't you glad we won Ferry. that war? <laughs> Clive Ferry. That's this guy's name. I love Clive. He was such a great guy. And I asked Clive, I said, hey, Clive, can you explain cricket to me? And he goes, you know, I've tried to do this with Americans before and it's never gone very well. So then he starts explaining cricket to me and he starts with, well, it's like baseball. And then he starts from a baseball framework, which is a horrible framework to start from. So we get all done. I spit back to him what I think I've heard. So the guy hits, he bats the six and knock it. He goes, my goodness, you've caught it better than most Americans. And I said, listen, Clive, let me help you with your next American. Don't start from baseball. Yeah. Like it's the, there's. The similarities stop at a bat and a ball. That's it. Yeah. You may as well start with golf. It's like almost closer to golf. Yeah. And so my point in saying all this is when you tap into somebody who has an expertise, they're a fireman, they're a teacher, they're a, a golfer, they're a counselor. They love sharing their expertise. They do. They like, do. I think when, when, you're in, when you see a car wreck on the street, you jump out and help. There's, we're, we're hardwired to help people who are in need. And if you approach a guy with a genuine need, in humility, genuine need, in humility, and you say, hey, man, like, for example, Jim, I don't do a podcast every week. If I did, you'd be the first guy I call. Hey, man, what'd you learn the first six months of your podcast? 
after Dennis Draney interviewed me for Family Life, we got all done. And I said, Dennis, how am I going to screw this up? Like, I'm, I'm a little kid in ministry compared to you. You've been in ministry 40 years. How am I going to blow this? And I got two or three really good pieces of feedback because he knows a ton more than I do about running a ministry. He might be horrible at shooting basketball, in which case I ain't going to ask him about shooting basketball. That's why I'm not a huge fan of this label sometimes of the word mentor Yeah, because they don't have to have everything right. Expert, um, guide, yeah, coach. I mean, you know, no, that's really good. But well, so you, on page 29 of your book, you said this. There, there's just so much I want to ask you, and I think we're running out of time. We got a little bit of time left. Yeah, on page 29, you said, men, we don't see the target. We are shooting blind if even we if we even have bullets at all. And even for the few who have a target in the crosshairs, most of us have no clue that we are relative to it. You know, I've, I've got a book coming out in the fall called Strong Men, Dangerous Times. It's all about dialing in the target for men and saying, this is what a man is. That's what the target does. That, that's what the book does. But how do, how do these coaches, uh, I, I'm trying to avoid the word mentor, these coaches, these guides, how do these guys direct us to the target? Because we come to them because we're not quite hitting the target. How do they help us? Well, I think it comes out of a heart of really, really knowing God's word. Oh. So if I go to if I go to Psalm one nineteen, right? So if you're if you're wondering what your target is, uh, and you want to go spend a little time, go spend some time in Psalm one nineteen. And here's what you're going to find in Psalm one nineteen: God's word, God's word is the author. And many will say it's David, but Psalm one nineteen is a tweener. Not totally sure if it's David, but the yeah. author of Psalm one nineteen. God's word is his counselor. Yep. God's word is his beacon. God's word is his aim. And you'll see these phrases throughout Psalm 119. So for example, if I'm being mentored or I am doing any mentoring, I want to aim people toward the truth of God's word. And if I don't know it, how can I aim them toward it? And so for me, a real quick story. I was sitting with a guy who's written about nine or 10 books. So he's about eight books ahead of me. And we were talking about writing and I got a lot of great input from him. Uh, and then uh, at one moment he said, and my wife and I are thinking about uh, uh, adopting ah. and the chairs, the chairs switched. Yes. All of a sudden, You're the that's coach. why the word mentor is a little tricky because all of a sudden I'm coaching him and, and we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready to coach and be ready to be coached all the time. That's wisdom. Wisdom is the perpetual readiness to coach and be coached all the time. Psalm, and it only comes yeah. from God's word, only comes from God's word. Well, and I would say the theme of Psalm 119 is God's word. Psalm 19 is actually the middle place of the whole Bible. Psalm 19 is also an alphabetic acrostic. Did you know Aleph, Bet, yeah. Gimel, Dalal, Hay? So yeah, there's so sure. many things, there's so many things wrapped into Psalm yeah. 119. It's the longest Psalm in the Bible. It's so cool. I, I, I love it. So I appreciate you bringing that up here. So let's skip on. Let's You, you deal with some questions, and I, I think we've been talking about this already, but we haven't actually said it. On page 189, you say, when we pose questions that display a heart seeking to understand, we tend to get responses that help us learn, grow, and change. Reread that one you said. <laughs> when we pose questions, so I'm rereading it, Can't you wrote it twice. When we pose <laughs> questions with a heart to understand, we grow. So Kent, the question is, how does this compare to don't lecture me that we often hear from our kids? How, how does asking the right question, 
help us as a dad more than the don't oh, lecture me program? Oh my goodness. Okay. So, uh, let's do this whenever you're ready. Let's have a whole podcast on questions. Cause buddy, <laughs> I I'm like a, I'm like a bomb. You just lit and the fuse is going down. Because here's the thing, the reason, listen, guys, if you're listening to this podcast and your teenage kids won't listen to you, it's because you talk all the time. Yeah. Like, let me just tell you. I failed in this it's area, Kent. I failed in this area. Talk all I the preached, time. So I was like, a great preacher. We would, we would, um, I'll give you just one quick example. And I didn't do this always right. I mean, I'm the guest today, so I sound like I'm an expert, but when I got it right, here's what I did. Okay. My son would do something stupid. Pick your, pick whatever son we're talking about. And my son would do something stupid. And I would say, hey, knock it off. And he would say, why? And I would say, uh-uh, that's not how this works. You give me three reasons why that's stupid or you don't eat dinner. Yeah. And here's what, here's what I was doing, right? In this form of a statement, I was posing a question. Hey, Alex, tell me, why do you think what you're doing is stupid? And then he would go, well, gosh, I could poke someone's eye out. You've told me not to, and I could break the lamp or whatever. And I would go, exactly. Because as, as, um, Howard Hendricks said in the book, Teaching to Change Lives, our job is not to impart information as parents. Our job is to teach our children how to think. Ah. And when we ask questions, it's documented brain science. When we ask questions, more people's, bigger chunks of people's brains fire than when we make statements. It's, it's becoming more and more obvious as we learn about the brain. Um, just the question hey, would you consider buying a car in the next six months was proven in a research study to generate 30% more purchases for cars. Just the question. And so like as parents, the secret, the lock, the little key you're looking for with your 15-year-old daughter or your 14-year-old son, learn to ask questions. And, and by the way, real quick uh, shout out, if you don't know how to do this, go get Ted Tripp's book, Parenting a Ch Shepherding a Child's Heart. He talks about this concept in the book, rich entreaty. And it's the idea that I want my questions to be rich. I want my questions yeah. to be full of life. So when you come home from school and I go, how was your day? And you go, fine. And I go, look at this. My teenager won't talk to me. That's a stupid question. You deserve a lousy answer for your pathetic question. Or, or one that's if making ask, If they can answer with fine, yes or no, bad question. That's a horrible question. <laughs> so if I say, hey, what part of your school day was the worst? All of a sudden, they're going to have an answer that's longer than fine. If I say, did anything surprise you today? What surprised you today? What was your best part of your day? Your worst part? I could come up with 15 questions that are better than how was your day? And we gripe about teens who won't talk to us because we're lousy question askers. Yeah. Man, don't get me started. No, that's really good. We should have a whole deal on question asking. We're running out of time, Kent. I knew this was going to happen to us, but I'm <laughs> going gonna, gonna to pull out my favorite statement from your book. To me, this is the quintessential, the end. Quintessential, the end. <laughs> quintessential manhood journey yeah. stuff right here, baby. On page 145, you said something that really stopped me in my tracks. And you said this. My kids may or may not acknowledge that I was the best father they could have had. But I'd love for them to acknowledge that I was the best father I knew how to be. I'm getting choked up thinking about that. Walk us through this, and how can the manhood journey help? I was at an airport in St. Louis when a boss of mine told me that. And I was lamenting some of the things I didn't have from my own dad. Mm -hmm. And my boss, Jim, said to me, Kent, you know what every dad wishes his kids understood? And he was about 15 years ahead of me in the dad world. He wishes every one of his kids understood he did the best he could. Um, 
And what I, what guys need to realize is we don't have to get fatherhood perfectly right because we never ever will. Exactly. God was the perfect father and his own children rebelled and turned against him. So best of luck being the perfect father and the results you get from being perfect father aren't that great anyway. God is over one. So just listen, if, if you want your kids to respect you and you want to have the relationship you want with your kid when they're 25 is you want them to come over because they want to, not because they have to. That's the relationship we all want with our children when they're 25. And we're not going to get it if we act like we have our entire act together all the time. I'm perfect. Grow up like me. Become like me. I'm your hero. No, man. I hate this whole hero mentality around fatherhood. I hate it. Jesus Christ is the hero. I'm a fellow screw up. Welcome to the club of fellow screw ups, my son. That's the way I parent. Yeah, that's really good, man. I, I had a parent, uh, a guy tell me in a parenting class one time, and it was so freeing. He said, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be good enough. And that was so good for me to hear. And, and to have my adult children around me on Father's Day because they wanted to be. And to have my middle son calling me every day to teach, to hear him blow his elk call and ask about archery hunting because we're doing an archery hunt together this year. Those things are what it's all about. When your kids become your friends and they are responsible adults who love Jesus, that's the sweet spot, man. Hey, buddy, thanks so much for coming on. So am I right? Manhoodjourney.org. Manhoodjourney.org. And then yeah, what's the right. other website? Fathers on Purpose? With, uh, singular, fatheronpurpose.org. Father Father on purpose. Purpose. So guys, head on over there. What, what we are to men becoming their best version, Kent is to men becoming their best father. So go check them out. Uh, man, if you're in the bubble, man, this is a great ministry for you guys to check out. Kent, thanks so much for coming on our show. Sure appreciate you, buddy. Uh, it's always fun to uh, hear from you. My pleasure. Thanks, Jim. Oh, buddy. Hey, guys, what are we going to do next? Let's get some boots on the ground. We can't walk away from this and just kind of turn a, a blind eye. Here's the next action item. On page 31 of Kent's book, he says this, quote, when is the last, he asks a question, good job, Kent, when is the last time you observed another man's expertise and asked him to help you with that skill? So the boots on the ground action item is this, guys, who is that man? And I want you to ask him to help you out. He will, if he's older, he will take you out for a meal and buy your lunch. So I get, it's an old man rule. You've got to do it. So guys, Dale, what's up, man? Take us home, brother. Go on and over to meninarena.org. Get your free copy of Guts and Men, 30 Days to Unlocking Your Most Courageous Version. Also go to the podcast app and leave a review for us. Or you can also send us your stories to info at meninarena.org. But until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. Men in the Arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. 
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.